Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Girl of Gen Z podcast. I'm your host, Clarissa, and joining me today is Jordan Blair. Jordan is co-founder of the luxury consignment shop So Over It, located in Winnipeg, Canada. The store also has an online presence and offers contactless consignment appointments. Jordan shares what it was like quitting her day job to take on So Over It full-time with co-founder Rachel Solomon, the challenges the business faced pre-COVID as well as during COVID, and what the future has in store for the two ladies. Before we go ahead with the episode, if you could kindly take two minutes to rate this podcast five stars preferably and leave a review on the podcast app, that would be much appreciated. And if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could give the video a quick thumbs up, subscribe, and hit the notification bell, I will forever be grateful. As always, the timestamps of the topics we cover in the episode will be listed in the episode show notes. Without further ado, let's get on into the episode. Welcome to the show, Jordan. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hop on this call with me. So we're going to dive in deep a little bit about your background and how you started your biz and what it's looking like now. And I know, unfortunately, your co-owner wasn't um, and your partner wasn't able to join us on today's call, but I'm sure you'll able you'll be able to speak on kind of both of your behalfs um, on a lot of these questions. Yes, Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Um, where did you bump around to? And where are you living now? Okay, so um, I was actually born in Vancouver, um, but left when my mother remarried to my stepdad um, to Winnipeg. So I grew up in Winnipeg. We moved there when I was like in grade two. So the majority of my life was spent there. Um, and then 29 years later, I ended up back in Vancouver. So that's where I've been for the past year and a half. Um, and I actually never went away for university. I, um, I stayed in Winnipeg. And so I did a ton of traveling. I did some crazy solo trips and always a little bit of um, an adventure, but I never lived away. So this was the first time sort of leaving the nest um, and I absolutely love it out here. And that's, that's where I am now. And where did you go away for university? So I stayed in Winnipeg. So I went to high school at um, the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. So it was a private school actually in the university. So I stayed there um, for my first little stint of university. Um, and I actually studied English literature. I was dead set on being a journalist. I pictured myself being, you know, in like Iraq and war zones. And I was like, that's, that was the dream. Um, and then I realized I, I hated, I hated it. I hated journalism. Um, I was really just struggling with English lit to get inspired. And so I actually took a break um, and I went traveling. So I did Southeast Asia and I did Europe with my friends and I really just was like not inspired to go back to school. Um, finally, I realized like, okay, I'm going to have to grow up at some point here um, and decided to go to business school. So I started a program at um, Red River College that um, you basically do two years there and then you do the last year at the university to get your degree. Um, and then a year and a half into that, Rachel and I started the business. So I sort of put that on hold. So I actually never finished school as of yet. Oh, okay. Wait, so did you finish your undergrad yeah. and then your, 
your or wait, did you finish undergrad? Yeah. So I, so I, I did my undergrad, but I never did the postgrad, like, like the postgrad. I never you, did any okay. postgrad. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and what were you like as a kid? Um, energetic, definitely hyper. I feel like it's always the joke. Like my mom says, if I got kidnapped, they would just throw me out the van. Like I was just asking so many questions. I'd be like, where are we going? What's next? Are we going to have, like, how long am I going to be kidnapped for? Like very, (laughs) very, very curious. Um, pretty ambitious in the sense of like, what, what can I do? What can I have? Where can I go? Um, I've always had a very keen sense for travel and and for adventure. And um, I think I really kept that energy into my 20s and now my 30s. I'm constantly um, so like I'm very, very social. We grew up with a huge group of friends. There's uh, 25 girls and we would do like a mother and daughter brunch every year. So um, always, you know, a lot of people around and lots of energy and I think it's slowly, slowly dwindling a little bit with age, but um, yeah, I think probably the best word would be energetic. <laughs> okay. And did you come from a family of being the middle child, the oldest? How many siblings did you have? Yeah. So I'm the oldest by a lot. Um, my mom remarried and um, we moved to Winnipeg and they had two kids. And so my stepdad, you know, was really my dad. He raised me. Um, I was two when they met. So he's been like a father figure for me um, forever. And then they, I had two little brothers that are eight and 10 years younger. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was, um, now it doesn't seem like the age gap is so, is so big, but all growing up, it was, it was a huge, huge age gap. For sure. Especially with being so young and being within that family and going through the transitions of being a woman and like high school and obviously it's hard to be more relatable to your siblings that are so much significantly younger than you uh, and your biological dad. Yeah. So my biological dad is in BC. Okay. Um, we stayed very close. Uh, he, I like to say I'm sort of this mix of my mom and dad who are completely opposite. You would never have guessed that they would even have a conversation or go on a date, let alone get married and have a child. Um, my mom is very, entrepreneurial and loud and like hello I'm here and my dad's very like um quiet and a little bit more reserved he like runs ultra marathons and he can draw and like he's sort of my little bit of my artsy side side is him and then I think a large majority of my personality comes from my mom who's like me times 10 but (laughs) Um, we've stayed close and I, I do feel very lucky that I am able to have a good relationship with both sets. I know there's some horror stories, so um, I just tried to make it a priority to stay close with, with each side as best as I could growing up. Absolutely. And what made you get into fashion? What piqued your interest in the world of clothing and shoes and accessories because we're going to get a little bit into your luxury consignment store in a bit yeah so I was always very very girly I loved dressing up Um, I loved clothes and then I think it was probably sort of grade nine when um, which is such an awkward year to begin with but I sort of started playing around with my style and that was sort of the beginning of like 
hipster, the the hipster idea and American apparel and um, being a, like a little bit more masculine. I So I just remember that was sort of the first time I noticed like, what is my style? Like, am I wearing like braided belts and oversized t-shirts or do I want to wear, do I want to be more girly? And it was sort of this like first, um, step into like what who am I who am I so like finding your identity through clothes ex- yeah exactly and all of my my friends were all very similar but everybody had their own sort of cool niche style and so that was just the first time I recognized it like wow the way you dress is your identity it's how people are going to perceive you and it's how you perceive yourself um, and then from there I you know, I always appreciated nice things and the older you get and the more you work and the more you have money to spend, you start flirting with the idea of like nicer things and you save up to buy, you know, that one pair of designer jeans, which I think. And I always appreciated that. Um, but I was never die, die hard designer. And then I got into my twenties and I was obsessed with vintage. Like I, I was such a thrifter. I would go with girlfriends. We'd take like all Saturday and we'd wake up at like eight in the morning and we'd go all day thrifting. Um, and then probably in my mid twenties, I started um, traveling a lot, those bigger trips like New York and LA. And I would always go to like cool vintage markets. And I really got into uh, sort of mixing my style. I feel like I was always either, if I'm wearing a dress, I was wearing, um, like sneakers. If I was wearing jeans, I'd wear heels. And I, I would like to really incorporate a bit of um, like a vintage band tee with like a pair of heels and a leather jacket out. And I really got obsessed with like, okay, well, this should be more accessible. Like I shouldn't have to go to LA to a vintage market to find like something cool. And this was, there still wasn't really like a huge market Um, yeah Yeah, and especially online right like everybody knows their best best thrifting or consignment stores in their hometown but why can't I order from that store in LA online and that's um that's sort of how Rachel and I bridged the idea for luxury consignment in Winnipeg and now um throughout throughout Canada Awesome. So what year did you decide to open this luxury consignment shop and tell us if it started in store online, how did it start and where did it go? So we started, um, October, 2017, we met in a coffee shop, Rachel. I just left work. I was working in aviation. I had a horrendous day at work and I called Rachel and I said, meet me right now at little sister coffee. I have an idea. It's very important. She's like, really like (laughs) what about I'll see you tomorrow night I was like meet me right now so she met me (laughs) we took out I basically pitched her like we always talk about starting a business both of our moms are entrepreneurs like let's just do it I want to start online vintage it will be a side hustle we can do trips like we can go to LA and do shopping and then put everything on the website and we started talking about it and then um Rachel said i like we should do luxury because everyone and their grandma at that point was kind of starting to do like their own closets or um, vintage stuff or like they thrift and then every two weeks they'll do like a drop kind of thing. And 
um, Rachel really saw she had already been thinking of it of doing it online um, when she was living in the states she couldn't work so she thought that would be like a fun project and in the states consignment is civ and so she had been introduced to that um, before I had and I was like yes that's brilliant you can't buy any of these brands in Winnipeg and that day we sent an email to all of our friends and family saying this is what we're doing give us your pieces we're gonna sell it for you trust us um but it wasn't just any pieces yeah so we decided to be very niche and we've only become more and more niche but we wanted to do um luxury and at that time, we hadn't really categorized luxury to what we ha- categorize it as now. Um, we're very picky with the pieces we take. But then it was like, if you have a vintage Gucci suit, like no matter the brands that we want, if you have it, we want it. And we kind of decided to do like what we would have kind of a vintage section. And then um, we did not want a brick and mortar the so over it was born and sort of bred the first few months in my living room and I feel like a lot of people consignment stores have this story I know the real real has this story and it's like there's girls over and everyone's trying things on and you're living you had we moved the couch into the kitchen it was like it was hilarious I wish that I had more photos of it but we had clothing racks and um just shoes everywhere and we would haul every single thing to a photo shoot we would use our friends as models so all of the models we used were like our friend who was a teacher an accountant a lawyer and we would be like guys we'll buy wine after if you model for us and just like drag them by their heels to um do these photo shoots with us and then we realized okay our problem is because these are secondhand pieces, um, people really do want to try them on. And so we thought this was, we launched our website December and we wanted to launch with 80 pieces, but we actually launched with 180. People were really receptive um, and supportive. And I mean, we were like trying to get like our Baba's friends to give us their stuff. So I think we had a little bit of an advantage, like um, getting into the market. So would people but, send you items and then yeah, so we would. Yeah. So we'd go to their house and we'd look through their closets and it's not much different to what we actually do offer now still, but, um, we'd look through their closets and we'd be like, Ooh, Escada, like, yes. And then we take the pieces, we do a photo shoot with them. We put them on the website. Um, and then what we found is also Instagram people would, we would do little teasers on Instagram and people were curious like okay where can I try this on or how do I purchase this and they weren't really going to the website the traffic was going through our socials channels so um, we decided to do a pop-up and we did our first pop-up at a salon in Winnipeg on Corden Avenue it's like the main strip Um, and it was in this tiny tiny little corner and we did it for a month long and we would but we were both working full-time so we would take turns we'd be like hey you go Friday after work and then I'll take um, Monday off and I'll, I'll work there and we were juggling we were never there at the same time oh, and wow. um, the pop-up was a huge success it was awesome we sold out of so many pieces we sort of realized in that moment too and in that um, span of a month like what really sells like the you know the 
leather jacket that last season is going to sell before a long fur coat that we thought was like a cool vintage piece. Um, And that's when we decided like, okay, let's get a little bit more niche. Like it's really, it's a lot, a lot of work goes into picking an item, marketing it, photographing it, selling it, finding the right client. And so we wanted to really take the thrifting completely out of the process. And we wanted when you came to our website to know, I'm not going to be finding Aritzia pieces on there. I'm not going to be looking at like vintage clothes that are in poor condition. Um, We still take vintage pieces, but like everything that we take is from eight out of 10 to 10 out of 10. Um, And we only take pieces that we are confident that we could sell or that we are confident that we want. Um, and we've really built this amazing customer based on that, on that concept, because people know, like, they're not coming in and, and having to sift through tons of things. They're like, these girls are only going to have unreal pieces that they believe in. Um, and it really sort of changed the game for us. So when we decided to be a bit more niche with our luxury pieces, um, we decided like, okay, we need a storefront. And we didn't want one, but we were like, let's do it. We need one. So a space, a studio space became available literally on top of the salon and it was massive. And so at first we said, okay, well, we'll rent this little corner and we'll just keep our inventory here. And if people want to book an appointment, they can come in. And then after seven days, we're like, okay, can we actually have the second half of the space? And then by the third week, we're like, screw it just give us the whole space so we had so you outgrew kind the, of like the little corner very quickly very quickly um and I mean we're December will be three years and that's very new still and sometimes we have to pinch ourselves because we haven't really taken a breath to appreciate how far we've come and how quickly but um it's all been very fast so we outgrew that that little corner into this massive space and we we did everything ourselves so we built the website ourselves. We learned how to code ourselves. We were up till four in the morning for months, like crying and fighting and yelling. Like just, we were very, like we, we were really confident that we could do it all ourselves and we didn't need help. And we started the business with just our own money. Um, and we actually didn't even get a loan until our new store. Like we were just very, wow. I think, proud. So real blood, sweat and tears <laughs> and went into this. Yes, exactly. Lots of tears, lots of wine. Um, So then we realized that we were getting a lot of traction at our store and our our brick and mortar was our number one sales channel. Uh, We decided after the first year of being in the studio that it was time to find a forever home. So we started looking at retail spaces that were ground level, our clients, you know, range from 23 to 75 or 80. And we were in this New York loft style walk up and that doesn't, isn't cohesive with our 70 year old clients lugging Chanel bags up the stairs. Absolutely. So we started looking at new spaces and while we were trying to take our time and find the perfect one, um, I really, really started to get into the idea of growth. Um, my biggest fear was, you know, in Winnipeg, it's, it's a big city, but our community is very small. And my biggest fear was, you know, my mom would buy a blazer from us and then go to lunch with her girlfriends. And one of her friends would be like, 
oh my god laura i just consigned that blazer with so over it yeah and like what a nightmare. awkward yeah right and so our our problem was if we want to grow we need to be able to um get inventory from other cities so rachel started going to toronto every couple of months she was doing these giant hauls it's vip customer service this really white glove experience so she would post up at a hotel she'd come to you she'd go through your pieces she could stay for like four hour appointment slots which is unheard of yeah and and go through pieces and she was bringing home this is so canadian but like four hockey duffel bags of of these crazy amazing pieces from toronto and then right and then of course the second you say to our winnipeg clients bringing home four duffel bags of Chanel from Toronto, everyone would go nuts because there's no risk of you buying your friend's product. That's a great sell point too. Like stuff coming from Toronto. It's obviously a big city. Like I'm very close to there. So it's, I get it. I get the whole, like you're lusting after it now. Exactly. Um, And then we were doing that. And then I, I really wanted to get into the Vancouver market. It's such a unique market here. Um, the stuff here is just crazy. I mean, you'll go to a five-star restaurant and there'll be people wearing Lululemons, but they'll have like, they'll all have Birkins at the table. So it's just a really unique market. And I, I desperately wanted in. So, uh, we decided that I would do a stint in Vancouver and see how it went. Um, and it will be to, well, it's been a year and a half and, um, it's going amazing. So we, we are bringing home these pieces that Winnipeg just doesn't have. Um, it's a different style and things are new. Like women here will have a bag for three months and then they're ready to let go of it. And that's our bread and butter, the, the bags and the accessories that people don't have to try on. Um, and then in Winnipeg and in and, and Toronto and Calgary, we still get like such cool pieces and, and, um, you know, someone will inherit their designer pieces from like their grandmother and will get these incredible vintage, uh, like Escada suits or, or like full Chanel tweed, um, suits. And so we are still incorporating my love of vintage, but it's in our own high end luxury way. Um, and then in this process, we decided, okay, we found a spot that we love and it wasn't far from our, our other studio and it was ground level. And we actually had two girls that we grew up with. One is an interior designer and she had lived in New York for a decade and one um, is an architect and we had them design our dream store. So we gutted it and designed it exactly for how we wanted um, top to, to finish. So it is like, walking into a European store we really wanted to feel like when you walk in there you're not in Winnipeg anymore you're like you're in Paris or like absolutely exactly I'll never forget this like 80 year old woman coming in with her granddaughter and she goes oh this reminds me of this amazing time in Santorini when I met this man and I was like yes this is what I wanted can I just record that (laughs) ma'am yeah exactly um, and in our new store, we, we, 
um, have a bag bar. So all of the bags are in these little cubbies. You can sit at the bar. We bring you champagne. I was going to ask about on... that. I was going to ask about the yes. champagne. Do you guys do the full like Louis Vuitton experience? Because I know when I got my first designer bag in Paris, I thought it was out of this world that they would give you coffee or tea or champagne. Yes. So that was always um, another big thing. When we opened the old studio, we always said like, this is an experience. When you shop with us, it's an experience. Um, you are going to have amazing customer service. It's going to be one-on-one. Um, Rachel and I, like our, our clients have our personal phone numbers. Uh, when you come in, drop your bag. We would have charcuterie every Saturdays, every Saturday. So people would come in and we'd have like cheese and wine. And um, we just found that people were coming in and like bringing their like baby and plopping the baby on the couch and staying for four hours and playing dress up. And that was really what we were looking for. And so with the new store, we were able to make that um, even more of a reality with this, like, uh, feel like you're at home, but also feel like you are at a Louis Vuitton store in Paris. So you come in, we'll make you an espresso or have a tea or have a, have a glass of Prosecco um and we always have like you know candy around and we just want to I mean COVID's been a little bit weird but (laughs) that's the usual scenario and um we just chat like there's there's no time limit no one I ever I think feels intimidated it's like come hang out with us and be our be our friend and most of our clients are actually our friends and now and you know we'll close this shop and we'll meet clients for dinner and that's what we cared about so much having that experience in the old school shopping like going to pull it Renfrew and having someone sort of like wait on you like you're about to invest a a large amount of of your own money or savings into an item that you're now going to take home and treat like your baby and take care of it and that experience shouldn't be dull and it shouldn't be um uncomfortable and you should feel like you are making the right decision and it should just be glorious from the moment you walk in the door to the moment you leave and that's really what we pride ourselves on and we were able to achieve um, even more with this new store that is really designed to you with round arches and um, beautiful colors so we're really really proud of that. So based on what you've told me with your the experience you want to give to the same kind of people that you were once were or maybe still are can you remember your first time buying a designer item and and how the experience was and what the item was yes so my first time buying a, a designer bag like a brand new one um was in vegas <laughs> um like many sure and um it was a it was a good experience. You know, Vegas is really busy, and it was a, a Gucci purse. And I, all all my friends had the disco bag, and um, everybody sort of had like the exact same one. And I really liked Gucci when it was Tom Ford, and it had sort of like the deep maroons, and um, it it was like his style. And so I saw a bag, and it was new, and it was definitely over what I wanted to spend. But I was chatting with the guy, and um, you know, he was great. I had a really good first lose my designer virginity experience. Um, he was like, oh, I totally know what you mean by this one. And there's only six in the world right now. And if you get it now, 
by the time that everyone else has it, you'll be done with it. And you can, and I was like, oh my God, like you, you should, like, I love you. Um, so I ended up getting it and it sits very nicely in my closet and I love it. But um, yeah, that was my first experience. And then, you know, we didn't, we really, um, that was my big first new purchase. I had bought like some designer pieces through um, consignment before because I've always been on the hunt and loved secondhand. Um, and then since then, like I have, I have a really hard time buying new because I see these incredible pieces coming in and I know that you can find them. And I, my style also, I do like very unique pieces. So when the vintage Fendi's come in, I'm like absolutely drooling. Um, and so I really spend time looking for that quality piece that I am dreaming about. And I buy a lot from consignment stores and um, I'll, I'll try to source things myself if I'm crushing on something. And I know Rachel does the same and she's bought tons from the real, real. And um, I think it's hard for us to justify buying new now because we know the accessibility to these amazing secondhand pieces. Absolutely. Do you remember the price of your first, that first handbag you were just mentioning? Yeah. So that one was 39.50 U.S. So wow, you big... remember to the dime. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember leaving and just like sweating, being like, holy smokes. Like, girl, you better take care of this. Like, I was just so nervous leaving. And then I was like looking around. And of course, everyone in Vegas is carrying like tons multiple of like, you bags. Know, and you're multiple like... bags. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God. Um, but, you know, a lot of people ask, what's the and, and people that don't necessarily understand um like designer or spending that much on a bag or a pair of shoes and um when we were doing an interview with the Winnipeg Free Press over the summer when we opened the new store they said what are people's mindsets like what why do you think people do it why do people have to have the Louis Vuitton monogram on their arm and I think that they're is a science behind it and I think like you know I did two years in psych so like I don't actually know but I would think that it's different for everyone and and there's some of some women that I would categorize and it's like um I worked hard for this you know like and that's how I felt I worked my ass off I was like slaving away and then I had started this business like I I I knew that my hard work was going to pay off and I wanted to reward myself and I wanted this beautiful thing. And then I feel amazing. Every time I use it, I'm like, fuck yeah. Like I worked for this, like, you know, and then of course there's the other side of like status where, um, someone wants, and I think that's like, uh, you know, people talk about Birkins and, it's such a plain looking bag. Why did you spend $60,000 on that? And some people, it's simply because they can. And it is a plain looking bag. And I do actually like the idea of because the Birkin isn't this flashy, like if you don't know what it is, you would think it's, it could be Aldo for all you know. That's like it's a true. plain looking bag to the naked I'm eye. I'm sure Aldo has made a very similar knockoff version to feel like yes. they're, they're in the loop too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but you know, we definitely have clients that will admit it. Like I want the monogram and if it's Chanel, I want you to know it's Chanel because I want the status. They, you know, they go out for dinner and they're like place their bag and it's very like bougie. And 
that's okay too. Like if you're going to buy something to make you feel better and it's not for like facetious reasons and it's actually to make you, it makes you happy, then that's great. If everyone could make themselves truly happy by having a, owning something beautiful, then that's a beautiful thing. And that's really another part of our business, like making luxury accessible. Um, it's going into Gucci in Vegas and buying a $4,300 bag isn't accessible. And it wasn't for me at the time. Like I definitely splurge, but buying that bag on layaway and having two months to pay for it is accessible for a young professional or um, a girl who's buying her first designer. I'll never forget this at the new store last summer. We had this, this young woman come in. I think she was 22 or turning 22 and she had just gotten into dentistry and she was so excited and she was buying this little Louis Vuitton pouchette and it's just this little thing and you put it in your bag and she was crying. Like she was tearing and she's like, I'm so happy and I'm so excited. And this is my first designer piece. And I, I bought this on my own and I can go show my mom and like, she, they're going to be so proud. My parents are so proud of me. And Rachel and I were started crying. <laughs> and it was just like this emotional moment but it really it made me so proud because making luxury accessible to people that truly deserve it and um is huge and I think a lot of women too don't realize like your old bag that's been sitting in there that you make fun of like I can't believe I bought this is going to literally make someone else's dreams come true and spark so much joy and so um we always say like, never be shy, be shy. If you don't think, if you think this piece is so ugly, it's someone else's like dream bag. Um, and so we treat all bags equally. Um, there's obviously things that sometimes come in and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is heinous. And then Rachel's like, oh my God, this is the most amazing dress I've ever seen. And so it just depends on your style. And Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally get the whole I've spent the money on this item. I'm going to, I'm going to show it off and like show people that this is mine. I own it. Like I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody has different, different motives or, um, you know, I have a, a couple of friends that they don't care if you know it's designer or not, but she has only designer because it's quality over quality. I like to call that sort of like the, the French girl closet it's like you don't have things overflowing but they're all Maison Margiela and Prada and you take care of them and you believe in quality and you can pass those pieces on to your granddaughter where you're not passing on your Aritzia Babaton coat so very true um, very true right very <laughs> true do you have what was it, uh, do you think having a pop-up store opened your eyes to what owning a physical store would be like and how did it prepare you? Absolutely. It definitely opened our eyes. I think the um, we, you know we have these these big personalities and I think um, being able to have our personalities come through to our clients um, was important to us and, and worked to our advantage. Um, I know that it can be intimidating. It's like, oh, these, what if I go in and I can't afford anything and it's so awkward to leave and, you know, we've gotten that feedback, but I think because we're able to be there and be like, we'll put you on a payment plan or like, 
okay, this might be out of your budget, but what about this one? And I think like having us um, sort of coaching people through the process um, definitely helped. And so I don't think having the pop-up prepared us for the nightmares and, um, you know, the great things that come with having an actual studio. It's a real commitment. I think exactly. It's a huge commitment. Rachel quit her job. She ended up working full time. Uh, I took on a position in my job in aviation doing like five on five off so that I could be there half the time. And, um, we, we're, we're really, really good together. We haven't had to have that real, like too many crazy sit down, serious talks. We just really flow well. So we're like, this is what makes sense. Let's move forward. I was like, we need to grow. I'm going to move to Vancouver. Rachel's like, okay, great. Like we 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 work really well together in that. Um, you know, having a brick and mortar store is just wild. Like it was great. We were having parties and Christmas parties and client appreciation parties. And we loved that. And then we were having studio nights, which will continue um, post COVID, but we were having speakers on like women in finance and you could get tickets and come have wine. And um, we'd get local um, caterers to bring food and we would talk about, um, you know, we'd have our friends that are owners of a salon to come in and talk about how to actually take care of your hair properly and um, what a fun night that so, so fun bomb. it was so fun we and could then, really go for know, one we... of those right now yeah seriously like friends what <laughs> um so that was such an amazing thing and to have people come in person and be interacting was huge for us but then you know there's like we um had a break-in we had the roof collapse we had like a waterfall come from the bathroom roof at one point. And those are all things that you just don't think will happen to you, but they do. So, and then the, you know, the bill, there's more bills and we were learning as we went, we had never owned businesses before. And we still at that time were very determined to do everything on our own. And um, the first studio was a wild time in our lives. We were in our, in our mid twenties, we both had huge breakups. Um, and then you know, Rachel ended up having like getting back together and I got this new boyfriend. And these are all things that are happening when you're so busy and you're working from 6am to midnight. And it was a wild, wild time. And so the new store we like to describe is um, we went from our 20s that were bubbly and dramatic and, um, you know, kind of fun. And then we eased into our thirties and we, we changed our branding and we built our dream store. And that was sort of like growing up and longevity and having things last. It's not like, you know, the live in the moment, um, which is very important still, but um, sort of like rash decisions. It was more like we're planning our futures and we're taking the next step and we're growing up and we wanted our brand um, to show that. And so we had our amazing, amazing, like superhero, we call her Laura, who does all of our graphic design. Um, she really just listens and she listened to how we felt and what we were feeling and what was going on in our personal lives and how we felt about fashion. And it's changed so much. Um, we're really, really diehard sustainability and eco. So we completely shifted our brand to represent that. And that's sort of where we are now. And you know, our 40s might be different too, but this will last us um, and our ideals for now. And that's important to remain authentic with your brand. If you're changing and your ideals of fashion and the industry are changing, your 
your brand needs to change it's with gotta that. Move with to move with you for sure. Exactly. And what full-time job were you bouncing between while trying to get this on the go as well as what was Rachel balancing before she quit that job? Yeah. So I was working in aviation. So I did executive charter sales. So a group of Northern airlines. So I had clients like our football team and our hockey team and then um, Manitoba, like the hydro, which wasn't as exciting. Um, but I did a lot of lodge charters in the summer. So that was like up at three in the morning at work at three 30, um, sending out these American lodge charters. And then and I also did Churchill, Manitoba, which is polar bear and beluga whale tours. So that You're was very busy. cool. I got, right. And so, you know, you, you are dealing with pilots and trying to put planes in the air. Also trying to keep these like very, very high maintenance clients happy. So it was a very stressful job. I did that for seven and a half years. So I was bouncing back and forth with that. I always bartended or served. Um, and I would mostly do that in the summer. So I would do that. So I was literally going to work sometimes at three in the morning, five in the morning, leaving, going to do a shift serving, and then going to the studio. And so it was nonstop. And, and Rachel was working at her mom's store, which is a, a, a boutique that sells like very, very cool brands in Winnipeg um, and higher end. And she was doing um, marketing for a jewelry company and she was working at the store and then we were coordinating like when to meet at the studio and when to take photos and when's our next photo shoot. And so we were just nonstop for uh, the year and a half that we started was just like go. We didn't even realize it was a year and a half when it came up because we were like, I feel like I've been blackout <laughs> this entire time. For sure. Um, yeah. And then it was just time to, to grow. And I think our biggest question was, you know, you buy all the business books or you're Googling or you're sitting in at seminars. And my biggest question was, when do you know when it's time to move on? Like, when is this your, not your side hustle anymore? And that sort of came to Rachel and we appointed her. She was really like our retail master. Um, and so she had to sacrifice that. And, you know, you're not making as much money. You just lost all your, your steady income. And um, she, she made that sacrifice and went full on and full time. And then I um, started, I took a position to do five on five off so that I could be there um, and not be like falling asleep after a 3 a.m. shift. I'd have right. five solid days to be there. And then when I moved to Vancouver, that was it. I just full time and we were both able to um, be comfortable. And, you know, we're still waiting to make those first few millions and just grow, grow, grow. But we um, are really, really lucky to be in the position that we are for three years. And I don't like to use the word lucky. I think that um, when you create your own luck and, and with hard work, um, it's not actually luck. But we are lucky in the set. We haven't had that typical entrepreneur story of like, oh my God, we lost everything and we failed and we lived in our Volkswagen van eating ramen noodles for two years. Like we don't have that yet, knock on wood. Um, and so we just want to avoid that altogether and just keep pushing forward. Right. Well, I definitely think from what I've heard so far, you're definitely on the right path and 
you didn't make any quick stupid decision it's, it was very you know we talked this through this problem has come up how can we go about it um no just quitting your job the day of thinking we're gonna go you know full time with this you definitely had to like see where your clientele was how long it was going to take to make it like a real business and have continuing clientele etc so did you and rachel create a business plan before launching the luxury consignment shop we did okay. um and i think uh you know, we had access to some resources like our parents. Um, my my mom was really helpful when it came to being smart about the decisions. Don't make um, too many rash decisions. I think if it was up to our parents, we would still be side hustling this and also working. Um, they probably changed their minds now seeing our success. But um, it was important that we wrote a business plan and really figured out like, how much do we need to make to even get off the ground? And so it took me four months. I wrote the business plan. And then the day we opened the store, I ripped it up because everything that I thought was completely wrong. Every single thing. Exactly. I mean, I truly, truly thought that the people that were consigning would not buy secondhand. And that was just so wrong. Like our biggest consigners are our biggest buyers. Someone will wow. bring in 20 pieces and they'll leave with 10. And I just didn't, I thought that there was still sort of this stigma. And um, I thought these wealthy women in Winnipeg weren't going to buy secondhand. And I was just wrong. Like a, a beautiful piece is a beautiful piece. Isn't that a good thing to a, be wrong about? A hundred percent. I was so happy to be wrong about that. Um, when we, we wrote a second business plan and we had help, um, uh, a woman that we knew who uh, helps small businesses and she actually usually does like um, nutrition companies and that sort of thing, but she's brilliant. She's amazing. So we reached out to her and she helped us craft our second business plan um, so that we could secure a loan to build our dream store. Okay. I was going to ask and, about the loans if you guys had to get any. Yeah. So it's very hard. I think any small business owner will tell you, um, like we didn't, we, Rachel and I didn't own houses at the time. We, um, were on our own. We were single girls. You know, we spent all of our savings to build a business and get someone to make a logo. And there's so many things that you don't realize. Um, we didn't have totally, and we just didn't have tons of assets or if any. And so, it's very hard to get a loan. Um, you know, we had our business account growing, growing, growing. And even our accountant was like astonished. She's like, I can't believe these are your sales for selling used clothing. Um, and we're like, why doesn't the bank see that? You're like, um, Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> but we need so someone we else to see it. <laughs> exactly. Like go tell them that. So we ended up um, creating this like very, it took six months. Um, it was a lot of work. Um, I, you know, I hated math growing up. Like I will write you an essay in a day, but like math was not my thing. So I have this like super smart woman that we grew up with being like, just calculate this and do this on Excel. And I'm like, oi, like this is just not for me. So that was a learning process and being patient and not hard on yourself. And we went through um, the uh, Women's Entrepreneur Network and were able to secure the loan that we wanted for the store. Um, and right before we applied for the loan, COVID hit. 
And so it was a totally different ball game in like how much you can get and what this means. And, you know, we're trying to get a loan, not to survive, but to open a new store in the middle of a pandemic. And there's panels and they're all saying how people are closing their doors. How do you think that you're going to open them, thrive and pay us back? And we opened our doors in that month, quadrupled our sales. Um, in March? Which was pretty... Yeah, so we actually opened our doors. We we renovated. We got the loan. We convinced them we are going to be okay. We opened our doors in August, and it was our our anticipated sales. We quadrupled that, um, which was like amazing. Winnipeg, well, congrats on yeah. that. That is that yes, is thank crazy, you. Crazy, especially right opening right away. Like I know it couldn't have gone better it was for nuts. that time period. You know, right? And that's community support. Um, I think every single person that had shopped with us before or wanted to now came to a store that was more accessible. Um, we were featured in the newspaper, a huge front page of the business section spread, um, which like all of our parents were like crying and everybody was so excited. And it was really the first moment that we stood in the news store and looked around and, and thought we've created something. We've created something really beautiful here. So that was great, but um, the whole getting the loan process was bullshit. It's so hard. I feel bad for anyone that needs to go through that, which all business owners do. Like you eventually need a loan um, for some sort of for growth or overhead, and it's a really hard process to go through. Was it six months you said approximately that it took for you to get it? Yeah, it took us six, six months, months to create the the business plan, rejig our numbers, look at our, like, it's a, so much work. You have to really dive deep into um, your competition. And because we are really Canada wide, that was like Edmonton, Calgary, Kelowna, Vancouver, like who is our competition and what do they do and how do we do it better? How do For we sure. do it differently? And we were only two years in, so it was not even, so it's really difficult to sort of differentiate yourself from all these businesses that have been around for 25 years, but um, it really did come organically in the end. How we're different is we do offer this white glove service. Like in Vancouver, I have a FaceTime appointment with you. I go over the process and then I come over and you can book four hours still, like what we did in the beginning. And I come over, there's no charge. We can go through your closet pick which pieces that we think are good, what you should keep, what you should donate. We tell you where to donate. It's just like unbelievable customer service. And that's what we care about. And that's just how we've managed to stand out in this market. And you are both working full time now for the company when you're requesting this loan at this point? Yes, okay. we were, yeah. Okay. And are you allowed mm -hmm. to disclose how much you received? Yeah, so we wanted hundred thousand dollars we wanted to you know make our dream start we were able to get i think seventy two thousand dollars that's not bad um, yeah so that wasn't bad and then the rest we had saved so it worked out but um you know that's not a huge huge amount of money for a startup we we wanted it to renovate we needed um to keep our staff on while we did it and so um, I actually think COVID helped us in that sense because they were dishing out a little bit more than usual. But, um, 
you know, we, we had tried to get loans all over the place and it was, it was really tough. So I think it just depends, like, obviously how much your business has and what assets you do have, but, um, we are able to get that chunk to build our new store and it's definitely paid off and, um, yeah, but it's, it is a crazy process. So I think most people would be able to string along kind of how you guys came up with the name. So over it, but in your definition or in your words, how did you guys come up with this name? So it's definitely, um, kudos to Rachel and her sister. Uh, when Rachel originally in the States was like, I wouldn't mind doing this myself. Like she wanted to kind of sell her own stuff. Um, her sister was and she's uh, in Ving in Toronto at the time she they came up with it and thought it would be so cute and they were kind of joking about it and like is that funny like I feel like that's such a cute name and then when we were thinking of names Rachel's like you know Alexa once like brought up that she thought this would be an awesome name and I was like that we were so over it that the coffee shop until now and we love it and we sell like sweaters and sustainable pens and hats and all these things with silver it on it and people love it like so much around you guys in have the some winter. Merch. yes and people think it's hilarious like my boyfriend wears so over it hoodies non-stop and everyone's like where did you get that that's the best especially in covid right people are like yeah oh my god I that. <laughs> yeah <sighs> Uh, so on your little Q&A you got going on on your consignment shop page, you and Rachel both mentioned your favorite um, shopping city was California. So what inspiration did you draw from Cali when selling these pieces? And then have you been to France or Milan? Because obviously they're huge fashion capitals and I would love to hear what you have to say about them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we need to refresh that um, page. I think it's right when we started out and there's definitely – um, I would say some shifts, but at the time that we started, you heard the story about how I was like going to LA and finding all these vintage pieces. And I really liked, I'm very West coast. Um, I like the style of like kind of mixed laid back, but carrying your Chanel bag. And like, I, at that time was like very into like the surfer chic model off duty type of, of well, style. And sure. so yeah, I really liked um, LA. And I know that uh, Rachel was living in Anaheim, and she loved shopping there. And I think she really liked these luxury boutiques, like these little consignment stores that were so cool and hidden treasures. And, um, you know, you're walking out outside, and it's beautiful out. And I know she loved that experience. But I mean, since then, like, I mean, New York is just incredible. It's so fun to shop in New York. I loved, um, yeah, like, of course, going to Paris. And that will be our first trip after everything is settled down. We'll do a shopping trip in Paris where we go to consignment stores. Like, Paris is the birthplace of luxury consignment. And you walk into their stores, and it's, like, one consignment store will be in this back alley and tiny, but it only has Chanel. And the woman will be like, this is from World War II and was, like, saved from like a Nazi soldier's wife like crazy stories and I love that we do these blogs now about um each designer that we sell and we just started and 
diving into the history of them is just bonkers. Like they all have this crazy dark past and like love affairs. And I find like, you know, they, a lot of these started in the 1900s, 1800s, and there's such rich history. And so Paris is going to be your hub to exploring that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think every city you go to, we were in um, Peru and I found this like luxury store and it wasn't consignment, but like it was the only store where they were selling um, where we were like luxury goods. And the woman was like, I just order things that people ask if I have, and then I just order them. And so it was this like bizarre array of like Louis Vuitton and it was so cool. It's like, that's her import store that's so and cute. it's people that are like taking the train to Machu Picchu and they're like oh I probably need a Neverfull like and it's so funny so I think like each city now when I go I have such a deeper appreciation for um brands and their history and their um collections that every city I go to it's like a whole new adventure right is I guess on based on that what you just said how many luxury stores are there around your store or like I guess in your hometown because I've never been to Winnipeg is there easy access to like a Holt Renfrew or a Nordstrom or anything like that zero okay so you guys are really thriving then because like there's yes. no other for the Winnipeg people for sure the locals to go and buy designer so there's um a couple boutiques mm -hmm. that sell like um, higher end brands, but not uh, like the Louis Vuitton and the Prada and the Balenciaga more like um, you could get a Smythe blazer for sure. Veronica beard denim, like those brands. Um, and we take some of them, but we still don't take a lot of what they sell. Um, there's definitely some really cool and they're all local. The, the, the stores that you can get those designer pieces are local. Um, we do have a Saks off fifth, but it's like a Saks off fifth off, off fifth off. Yeah. Fifth. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's the just, outlet. Yeah. It's like the yeah. outlet of the outlet. It's yeah. just horrendous. And um, there are a couple consignment stores, but none of them specialize in luxury. So we are the only luxury consignment store in Manitoba. Wow. Well, good for you guys. Good for you guys. Yeah, thank you. It really created um, a very unique market for not only our Winnipeg clients, but our Toronto and Calgary and um, Vancouver clients that are our secondary city clients because, you know, there's um, – there's, I can throw rocks at luxury consignment stores from where I live in Vancouver, but you could consign something there and it could sit for eight months because there's so many options and the market's oversaturated where if I get a Dior book tote, which I did yesterday and I send it to the store, it's going to sell in 24 hours and you're going to have that customer service where I come to you where um, and, and not knocking anyone else's business model. Everybody is um, to each their own and they're going to operate how they operate. And a lot of these consignment stores here have multiple, multiple locations and that's amazing. Um, it's just us offering these private appointments and coming to you and bringing a bottle of wine. It's just a different experience. So depends what kind of consigner you are and what experience you want. And then you'll choose who you want to go with um, from there some people don't care about that experience and then we probably don't want them as a client because you have to you know you're technically a business to business like if I'm taking a purse from you you're making money off of it so you better like me because I'm going to sell it for you 
Yeah, totally. And I guess walk us through this process a little bit. So you decided to move to Vancouver to be able to build the brand more. So walk us through, you know, what one of these appointments look like and then how you take this bag and send it, you know, back to Rachel at the store. And then what is your pricing strategy? How do you price these items out? Yeah. So we'll pretend that um, you're my new client. So you can book online, you can message on Instagram, you can email, you can call us. Basically, we would set you up with an appointment. Um, what if I, I live in a different city? So well, if you live in a different city and we're not there, we do virtual appointments. Okay. So um, if we were doing a virtual appointment, you would have all of your pieces laid out. I would say yes, no, yes, no, ask questions. Um, and then what we do is we get you to ship them to the store. And then the moment that one of your pieces sell and you're going to get a commission, you're reimbursed for shipping. So you don't pay for shipping. It's complimentary. Sweet. Okay. So mm -hmm. shipping's reimbursed. And then how much do you keep from the bag? And then how much would I would keep from the bag? Let's say the bag is an item, the item. Yes. So our pricing, um, we have a rule of thumb and it's a uh, 60 percent is what you receive but we offer 70 percent for chanel and hermes and then what we do now a lot is custom pricing so um you have a bag it's 3500 dollars retail we think we can sell it for maybe 2800 we'll say to you like what are you comfortable letting this bag go for and if it's realistic that's how we'll move the scale um but a lot of the time people are really happy with the 60%. You receive it um, the next month after it sells. So it comes by e-transfer very quickly. Um, any of our clothing, so any piece under $500 is a 50-50% per cut, which it's, you know, clothing is a much harder sell. People have Absolutely. to try them on. Um, you don't know what it looks like not on people, especially these high-end, like high-fashion brands. So um, it's, a lot more work goes into it but you know if you're selling something and it's 250 dollars, you're going to be happy with whatever you can get for it anyways um our higher ticket items like our bags and accessories we can do custom pricing which we we like to do or we say this is how much we are confident we can sell it for um and you receive 60 or 70 percent which is a high commission rate for luxury consignment uh, yeah. from a small business and do so say me, I'm the seller, I'm selling it to you or whatever, giving it to you and then getting the money back yeah. later. Do I have to show you probably like the authenticity tag or whatever that comes with the piece? And then do I have to show you some type of receipt to show you how much I bought it for? Or do you use Google and work your magic? Yeah, so we don't, um, we do need every single thing that we get coming in is authenticated. So if we can't authenticate it ourselves, um, Rachel's actually in the works of becoming a uh, like legal authenticator. Um, but if we can't authenticate it ourselves through the code, we've been on the phone with like Gucci actually a lot. We've been on the phone with Chanel tons um, and they'll help you. Like if, if we are trying to authenticate an item, you can also, um, we do a ton of research. So um, I don't, that's definitely the side that's not so uh, glamorous is like hours, weeks, months can go into finding a, a piece, um, authenticating it and pricing it. If we can't authenticate it ourselves, we have a guy in New York and he's online and he does it for us. And then we um, usually take a commission price off like 50 to a hundred dollars to authenticate the piece. 
again because so much work and money can go into oh, yeah. authenticating it. Time, but money, and we, effort. <laughs> exactly. And we've said no to incredible, like, um, I know a perfect example was a couple months ago, vintage Celine bag that we could probably sell for like $4,000 now. And we just said no to it because it, we couldn't authenticate it. So we're very, very, very strict on our authentication. Um, we don't ask for receipts, but if you have a receipt, we'll Helpful. take a photo of it and it never goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not hard to find the retail of purses. And, you know, we compare our pricing scale, we compare with like hundreds of other sites. So uh, my Teresa and the real real and VSB consignment in Toronto, like we'll see if they have it and what they're pricing it at, because if we're pricing it $600 more, someone who's searching for that bag is going to do their research and they're going to buy it elsewhere. That's so good. we price it. Yeah. We Use price them as ballparks. But yeah, exactly. Um, and then it just depends what it is. If it's a bag that is very in this season and it's in perfect condition, we can obviously price it higher. If it is the exact same bag, but it has tons of wear, it's not going to be priced as high. And we're very honest and we're even honest, like, Rachel and I have both done it where women come in and they have like the double flap Chanel and it's black and they're like, I don't really know if I want to get rid of it, but I haven't used it. And we always say like, keep it, keep it for six months. If you don't use it, come back because you don't want someone giving up such a, um, like staple piece yeah, one of and those then be sad items. about it. Mm -hmm. Really honest. And, um, we tell our clients to make sure that they're okay leaving it. It's literally like giving something up for adoption. Um, but then you always feel good. You get a knee transfer and that can go towards buying something else that you love that you'll actually use. Where does most of the revenue get generated from? Is it private buying appointments, in-store visits pre-COVID, or do you find it's an even split? Um, it's a, I think it's probably an even, uh, I'd like to say it's an even split between in-store purchases and Instagram purchases. Interesting. Um, we still sell on our website. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's really crazy. We still sell on our website. We sell internationally. Like we've shipped to Australia. We've shipped to Norway, like some really cool places. But we, I mostly find someone will even see our Instagram, go on the website and then Instagram message, can I buy this? And I just think it's our generation like that's what people do We're now I feel like 20 absolutely right I feel like I'm on Instagram and these ads come up and I shop mostly through Instagram anyways um or I go to the website through Instagram so I think that's probably our number one sales channel and then it's our our regulars or the the people that have saved up to come get their first bag or um and that's in store so it's it's kind of a mix but I mean who knew Instagram, which is a free selling channel, would generate so much revenue. But the stories and the highlights, it's just an awesome tool. The first thing, like, I spoke to these students um, last year, and they say, like, what's the first thing you would do when you, you have your name and you have your logo and, like, start an Instagram? It doesn't matter if you are cutting Get that grass, handle. Get that handle, yeah. How many employees do you have currently? Yay. We've really grown this year. Um, we have, so the two of us, and then we have three. So we have Laura who works for us, um, who does like, I mean, she does everything. 
she um, does our graphic design. She does marketing. Uh, she takes care of us. <laughs> she um, brings us back down to earth. We're really, really lucky to have her. And then we have um, an amazing sales associate. She is from Morocco and she, her name is Selma. She's awesome. She knows everything designer. Like if someone walks in, she's like, oh my goodness, Diane, those those are Jimmy Choo's from 1942. I can't believe you have them. Like, she's incredible. She's a um, good one to we, have. She is awesome. And then we have a new employee, Peyton, and he is the, like, ultimate little sales bunny. He's amazing. He's been really amazing and eager to learn. And then, um, you know, in the next year, we're probably going to have a store manager and we'll probably have a couple more employees. There's As we grow, there's so many more things to do. And, um, this year was really supposed to be about Rachel and I and our growth and um, education. We really wanted to um, be taking more courses. Uh, we wanted to go to the girl boss rally in New York this year. We wanted to spend time networking and we wanted to go to Paris and do buying and sit in on fashion shows. So um, that's obviously been put on, on hold, but it will happen. And we, we want to grow. We want to grow over Canada and, I don't know right now. I thought that meant opening brick and mortars, but I think we can offer something so much more unique, like these really cool secret pop-ups. Um, and we can kind of do that all over Canada and be like, we're popping up in Toronto and have another sustainable brand or a brand that's aligned, like a beauty line and, um, you know, have like, have it in a funky bar and do these sort of like invite only secret. Like I just have a million ideas and I think that could be our future because I mean, we don't know what the future looks like. So if we can think of things that are unique and make us stand out, that's really where I'm, that's what we're hoping for. And how uh, far into the process until you and Rachel were able to fully pay yourselves? We like would randomly I think it was like after the first year or just getting into the first year we would randomly pay ourselves we'd be like okay like a thousand dollars each and you know that was like huge and then like after um, like a month or like like what what would you take this thousand based off of yeah like a month like we were not we were we were and to be fair we definitely could have been paying ourselves we were so conservative and we did see um, the importance of having staff overpaying ourselves. Um, and we realized like someone can do something in five minutes that would take us four months to figure out how to do. Like I can barely do Zoom. So um, it's really important to sort of figure out your priorities. Like what, how do you grow um, and where is that money going to be allocated? So it wasn't until like really, I think a year and a half that we put ourselves on um, a, not even a salary, just like an hourly um, sort of right. payment plan as employees. And that's definitely been like comfortable and helpful. And, you know, we'll have like um, talks with our accountants and this year we'll probably get a bonus and like, that's great. But we've been so conservative because building up and um, being able to have that cash flow, we rather be, you know, like slowly, slowly building up what we can pay ourselves and have like 20 grand to put into the website or something happens and your toilet explodes. Like you're going to need that 
whatever. And so um, I think that was a, a lesson we learned that was good though. We were very conservative and it's worked in our favor. And now we can sort of figure out at year end um, what that looks like and what we can be making as a salary. So, I mean, again, I think we heard all the stories of like, you, I couldn't pay myself for the first five years or I didn't make a dime and was in debt for the first three years. And so I think that sort of scared us. And we thought, let's be conservative for three years. And then after that, let's see what that looks like. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, exactly. What challenges has the business had while COVID has been around? The dreadful question. Oh, I mean, I just, my heart is broken for um, our community and, and all small businesses, you know, where there's lots of tagging happening and nice messages going around, but it won't make it, it doesn't make anything better. Um, there's, they say in Winnipeg, 30% of restaurants will not reopen. And it's just such a sad, sad stat. Um, but there's been every type of challenge not only are we operating businesses from two different cities, but we had to lay off like our new staff member for at least the next couple months. We had to close our store twice uh, with returns, trying to like figure out um, different processes and, you know, then you can reopen, but there's all of these legal conditions restrictions that you, yeah. And I think um, we were really able to, we were, like Rachel just absolutely rocked it offering drop-off and pickups and um you know people were like trying on the clothing in their car and then being like oh my god it doesn't fit and she just had to like drive in the middle of winter there and then steam the item we like have to put our items that are tried on in isolation and then you can't photograph them like every type of challenge presents itself your sales drop you're trying to figure out how to be creative with your sales. Um, we are still doing like our charity work. And then it's like, it kind of brings you back to down to earth. Like you, you really don't want to complain about it when you know what like single mothers are, are going through that can barely afford to dress themselves. Right. So that has been um, sort of an eye opener and, helpful for us to be like okay we'll get through this but every type of challenge you can think of you go through right now and I think the biggest challenge of all is like your mental health as an entrepreneur thinking where do we stand in a year you know we went from like our biggest growth six months um, ever to what does this look like and are people going to be able to afford what we sell and um, you know, lots of our clients that we became very, very close with lost their jobs or their husband lost their jobs or they're having babies. And I think um, behind every business, small, behind every small business are humans that feel and breathe and have emotions. And so have real life problems, real life problems. So, you know, you have to keep your shit together and um, just really like be there be there for our clients and be understanding and we expanded like our our payment plan so that people don't have to stress and um I think that's I think excellent we, that payment plan thing that has been put in place in many many businesses yeah. not just your own is been a lifesaver for many 
Yeah, totally. And because what, like, if you can afford to get something and it might take you three months or it might take you two or it might take you four weeks, you still deserve to have that. And right. you shouldn't have to be freaking out. The world's changing. And for sure, it's I think- like parents getting kids for their, uh, for Christmas. Like if they can't afford them all at once, you know, buying from some yeah. bigger name brands that they do the payment plans are super helpful because exactly the kids still, it's still nice to wake up to something as a kid on Christmas. Yes. And that it's just tragic. And I mean, what a curveball! Like I never thought this would happen in our lifetime. It wasn't even on my radar. So it's just been absolutely bizarre. And um, for fellow business owners, uh, it's been quite crazy. Like in Winnipeg, it was nuts last week because the bay was still open. I heard Um, about that. Yeah. And so there were these huge chains that were deemed essential because of like half of their store was um, essential, but they couldn't remain open. And that is just like a kick in the gut. That's so unfair. Like it, yeah. it's so much easier to operate a small business. Like we know exactly who's coming in. We can get their name. We can get their phone number. We know that they're sanitizing because we're doing it for them. It's like, like one person store is in- so much easier than putting, distancing them in Hudson's Bay. Exactly. How right. do you even monitor that? So that was tough. Like that was really tough because in the end, it doesn't matter how loyal the customer is. If you need to get gifts for your child or for your whoever, or you need to be dressing yourself, it's easy to go pop in there. Um, and I think they've we made a bit of a ruckus, all the small business owners, and I think they're changing that now. I know Walmart is like, you can't get clothes and everything's covered, which is how it should be. But that's been challenging too. And it's really like, you have to go with the flow. You have to take the punches. Everyone's going through what you're going through. You're not special. Um, There's coffee shops that have been operating for 20 years that have had to close and it's, it's really heartbreaking. So it's just trying to stay positive and trying to think of, of the future and stay creative, but also like as humans, um, stay positive and be kind to each other. It's, challenging it's hard to wake up and be like yeah let's crush today when you're let's like kick I don't some know ass. tomorrow yeah like let's kick some ass but we have no idea if tomorrow will be the apocalypse right right it's tough it's definitely been tough and the challenge is pre-covid when you said the toilet situation the roof or the ceiling <laughs> caving in um <laughs> were any of, i'm curious any of your items get damaged and how do you go about that if they were yeah so when the roof collapsed on Rachel, and I hope she listens to this oh, no. and still have a laugh, but it was a day where I got a panic call, like, our roof is leaking. And it was like not leaking, like little spritz where you put a bucket, like in the movies, it was literally like a waterfall coming down. Um, That's why she had buckets and, to catch all this water. Yeah. And there were definitely pieces um, that were damaged, and we didn't want to have to use our insurance policy because it wasn't high enough that it would be worth it. And so you just soak that. You pay out your consigners, you try to get them dry clean. Um, And then things that we just didn't feel comfortable selling, we always give to the women's shelter or dress for success. And um, you know, a tiny spot a woman can wear to an interview and look absolutely fabulous where you just can't sell it um, for that much. Totally get that. Yeah. That's a great way about going about it. I'm glad you have a solid backup plan. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that would never, exactly. 
like that would never happen in our dream store, luckily, but it definitely happened along the way. And there's things like there's, you never know, like something gets shipped and then a client says like, oh, well, um, I, I'm not comfortable shipping this and how do I know? And like, you have to really talk people through it and you, and you never know what's going to happen. And it's hard for people to give up their brick and bag and think you're going to take care of it. Um, and so, yeah, you just have to, again, I think like really, and I think most business owners will say this, but going with the flow and just taking things in stride is so, if you can just be okay at that. And obviously you're going to have your freak out sometimes, but, um, just trying to be cool. And, you know, we, we really take things on, like, this is the problem and we don't talk about it. Like, this is a problem. This is the solution. Mm-hmm. We don't, um, dwell on the problem like oh my god and then COVID and well what the hell and this or like this this customer said this and like oh let's talk about it for an hour we literally are like this is a problem moving on what's the solution um that's that's also helped us like uh cut out tons of like dramatics and we do that with our uh clients too like if they have a problem or um they you know we get calls like I can't I bought a purse from you and I can't find the authentication code it's not like well, you don't know how to find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, this let's is take solution. a breath and let's get through this. Yeah, open up the flap inside the, you know, and it's, we really like to approach situations like even keel, which can be hard sometimes, but very important, I've learned. Are the same items in store on the website and on the website in store, or are they different? Um, if the item is on, in our store but we don't put everything on the website sorry say that again Uh, you cut out if it's on the website it's in our store okay but we don't put everything on the website um we will end up hiring actually in a couple months um a an intern and the best um, I loved interning those days yeah I think it'll be really fun learn a lot totally and we want someone who is either studying fashion or e-commerce and um, we'll have more more pieces going on the website, but um, right now it will be like shoes that are easy to photograph or purses, um, and we'll we'll build that up. But we mostly do like a ton on Instagram, so story highlights, sneak peeks, um, new product in, inventory videos. And so if you were like, I need to keep my eye out for like a, something perfect, where do I stock you guys? It's definitely Instagram. Okay, cool, cool. What was the greatest moment or accomplishment your company has had thus far? Uh, oh, definitely like the happiest memory and the most that we felt accomplished was opening the new store um, when we were in the, the newspaper and the business section. I mean, it's every girl's dream. Like you, you, we felt like we really made it. Like that was our whole community seeing that and our peers and our friends and our family. And we thought that we would have like a little blurb, but it was like a two page massive photo of us and like, um, massive article. And we were like, you know, we, we didn't end up going away to Western and becoming lawyers, like a lot of our successful friends. And we, um, I still need to finish business school eventually, but like, we're gonna we're gonna get married and have kids and like we you know you always have that sort of imposter syndrome in the back of your head like I can't believe I never finished business school and then our our lawyer friend is like 
George, why are you worried about finishing business school and spending money on business school? You are business school. Like you have so much to teach already and you like don't stress about it. And I never grew up like that. I never grew up like school's not for you. Okay. My mom's like, get your ass back to school. And now I'm 30 and I have a successful business. So like I would definitely say to people finish school, but, um, you, you can do it. Like you can do it. It's not the end of the world. So I think like being in the business section, um, and I think I can speak on Rachel's behalf too. I think that the new store was like really her, her baby too. And she became like half contractor, half fashion guru. So seeing the store was like a surreal moment and having people message and having people call from the newspaper article, which was so positive. I think that was our, we made it moment. I love it. Uh, what is a piece that has come into the store or online, or you've picked up from someone's closet that you thought was so unique and you just like fell in absolute love with like a, a standout piece? Sure yeah. There, I mean, there's, I know I'm like, now there's so many, but it's always for me, the unique vintage pieces. So there was a tweet, like a Chanel blazer um, that was on the cover of Vogue in 1982 or, or 1972. And we got that. And I just thought it was the most unbelievable thing. Like that is the coolest thing ever. That um, is cool. And that was like a really cool moment. My favorite story though, is um, one of our favorite, favorite clients. Uh, she, her husband is from France. And so she's been consignment shopping since before we were born. And she brought in a pair of Chanel little mule shoes and they were in amazing condition. They were like cream colored. How she kept them in that condition, I have no idea because she told us that um, she bought them in Paris at a consignment store and that the woman who sold them to her said that they had been consigned twice before and that those shoes were from like 1931. And so we received these and they had been consigned multiple times for generations and generations. And can you imagine the stories? Like I picture a woman in the thirties pre world war II walking around Paris in these Chanel shoes, like, Oh my God. And I just thought this proves quality over quantity. This is a pair of leather mules that are in such amazing um, constructed so amazingly that they've lasted and are still in epic condition. And that was like one of my favorite moments. Do you write any of these stories anywhere? Cause these would be very like interesting to have on the website or the blog. I feel. Yeah. Like I think I've, I've mentioned some things in our, our blogs and I write all over um, blogs and now that we're doing these um, uh, sort of like highlight blogs on um, our favorite designers, I think I like sort of mentioned, but it would be cool to definitely um, write out all of our favorite stories because there's tons. There's so many and like really cool stories when people come in and um, surprise their their partners with a gift and you tell them the story and then they come back and they talk about like, well, and I, t- I told the story again and I've been telling how like word travels about these like amazing because fashion is, it is a revolution and it there's so much history always evolving and yes a lot of history yeah exactly it's really a beautiful concept if you get enough stories you should write a book on it one day 
I would love that. That's an amazing idea. I think I, I would <laughs> read it. I mean, like, if you like fashion, yeah. enough, I'm sure enough people would read it. I know. I'm uh, like, how do we get a reality TV show? I feel like <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> that would be a good reality TV show. So you write the blog. How often do you post on the So Over It blog? Um, so it depends, like, what's going on in our content calendar. I started doing sustainability updates. Um, I sometimes do them once a week if there's lots going on um, or else it's more like every couple weeks. Um, and I started having guests. So we're talking to other business owners, other um, sort of like community influencers all over Canada. Um, and that's been really fun. So I just tell people to stay tuned on Instagram and we'll always post like going live with. Um, and those are always on our IGTV. And then I do blogs. So we do these designer updates and then, um, you know, I've done blogs from everything from um, like when we wrote a blog that was like very personal, but it was if we could tell our 20 year old self anything and, you know, talk about like ex-boyfriends and um, self-worth and like what, how your style changes and what that means to you. And so we really don't hold back on our topics. I think that it's really important if you are um, encouraging growth and um, confidence in women and, you know, dressing for your body and buying luxury pieces that you can make yourself feel like uh, this beautiful model. Like I put on my Gucci bag and I'm like, I rock, like, I worked for this. This is beautiful. I'm beautiful. Let's hit the town. And so if you can inspire other people to feel like that, that's the goal. And so we'll write blogs about anything. And when things come to mind, I'm like, oh my God, we should do this. But now we're doing two, like my five favorite things. And we highlight other sustainable brands we like all over Canada and like what we've tried and what doesn't work and different products to use and how to actually take care of your pieces. Like if you're buying a $3,000 bag, you're not throwing it in your closet like you need to take care of that it's like if you cut bangs at the hairdresser that's up to you to maintain until you go back right for sure so yeah that is wild okay uh <laughs> and I think it's super personable too to like be writing these articles of like whatever comes to mind that you've personally experienced or Rachel's experience or if you've experienced together and you have readers especially in this generation like you know feeling in tune with that yeah totally so the studio nights you mentioned, and you had different yes. uh, speakers and such. How do you go about finding those local guests? Do you have people that come in when they're buying? They're like, oh, I have someone in mind for that guest that you have. Or do you do some research or a little bit of both? Yeah, we usually invite um, people. So between like Laura, Rachel, and I, we usually will have an idea of um, sort of what we wanted to, what we want to do. And um, we had... Uh, two women that teach sewing and they came in and we did like um, repurpose your denim and so we did a class on like teaching how to sew um, different like uh, bejewels and like patches on your denim jacket and how to customize how to cut your denim Levi's into shorts so you don't need to throw them away um, and that was just something we thought would be cool and then we tracked down these girls um, and uh, we also have people approach that are like, oh, I think this would be really fun to do this. And then, um, but we're queens of reaching out. Like we are not shy. So if I want a guest on 
um, our IGTV, then I'll just send a message. Or if we have an idea, then we'll kind of research like, well, who is the master of this and what can they teach us and what can they teach our peers? Okay. And is it held in the actual store? Yeah. So we haven't done one in the new store because COVID has been alive, but um, in the old studio, we would, um, we would hold it there and we would just like, sometimes we would have 30 people. Sometimes we would have 10 or 15 and we just always had wine and goodies and we'd have people sponsor and drop off like food and get um, input. It was really just sort of like a community initiative. Um, Yeah. It's sort of our way to give back um, to people that are actually paying attention to us and um, it was also fun and a way to connect, which yeah. is important, which we're lacking right now and we'll hopefully be back soon. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the best resources that have helped you to succeed so far that you have in your business? Yeah. Oh, um, each other has been a big one. Um, I think we really lean on each other for we are, um, sort of like specialize in different things and so um I'll have an idea but I won't know how to action it and it's totally up Rachel's alley and vice versa I think um community like we we aren't afraid to ask for help anymore we um are already proud of what we've done so we have no shame in saying we can't do this um like the women's entrepreneur network uh, was huge and they can answer any questions. So I really recommend for any woman starting a business to reach out to them. Um, and our, our moms and our, our dads, like I feel like our families have been really helpful between all of them. Um, there's an answer somewhere. I, I, I think the answer is really community we um, were able to do a lot by ourselves um, individually without um, like professional help in the beginning. And then, um, yeah, like our partners, our, our boyfriends and fiancés have been, have been so, so helpful too. And like huge advocates for the business. So Good. I strong think really, yeah, yeah. Strong support system, surround yourselves. And we've lost, I mean, you you kind of realize when you're under this stress and you're busy and who cares about you and who wants to support you and so you starting a business you really do go through this emotional transition of um, letting things go letting people go what's your lifestyle going to be like how do you shift your lifestyle so that you can maintain um, you know your social life and your business and your family and um, your finance own financial success so it's a lot of growth and we really don't sit back to really think about it. But when we start talking about it, it's been a, the craziest three years of both of our lives, a hundred percent. And so over it is our identity. We put our, like, like we said, blood, sweat and tears into it. And we are both so passionate about what we do. Um, Rachel on the retail side of things and like selling and she's so honest and, um, I don't even know if like using the word authentic is, is cool anymore, but I think it is so important. And um, I'm so serious and passionate about the growth. And I think, you know, our blogs and our, our videos, I think people need to know who we are and we want to teach them. Like you can live sustainably and you can buy sustainably. And yes, you can afford to buy this. Like um, we have so many tricks and so much knowledge that we've learned. I think it's important to share and, having our community um, support us and help has just been huge. 
And what is the most important thing you would say um, is important to you and your company? The most important thing is to not lose sight of of where you came from and what you stand for. Um, I think it's easy the more you grow and the quicker that you start to grow and establish your business, it is to get caught up in um, more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. But, you know, since the day that we started going to our parents' friend's house, going through their closets, we haven't shifted that business model. Um, That's important to us customer service is our number one. Like if you are letting go of, of something that means something to you, it needs to be treated accordingly. And if you're putting money into um, a luxury product that is changing your life potentially, and that means so much to you, like that needs to be, you need to be treated accordingly. So I think our whole business model is really based off of um, customer service and accessibility. And your favorite style icons? This also changes so... Yeah, this also changes so much. I think um, right now is kind of funny, but, you know, we... um, Our friend here, who's the family jewels on on Instagram as a mom and just always looks amazing. And I love Vancouver. Like I, like I said, very West coast style. So a little cash, um, with a little bit of, uh, zing, I would say. Um, and I think I've been following really like lots of, um, normal people. Everyone is a normal person, but, um, I am on Pinterest and I look at like celebrity style and that sort of thing. But I think really like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say right now since everyone is in like track I know, suits. I know. But, but like, yeah, Bieber, I think it's... Or like, is there anyone that comes to your mind or is not really a specific <sighs> person? It's more like a mood board on Pinterest. Yeah, I think a mood board. I think it's like, I mean, of course, I can look on Instagram after this and come up with like 10, but <laughs> I do still like the sort of model off duty. Like I'm very t-shirt and trousers or uh like sneakers and and Levi's and a long blazer like that's sort of my look which I think is very like kind of um I'd like to think effortless which it's obviously not but that sort of um effortless look so I mean everybody like it's kind of all over Instagram right now everyone is is trying to be comfortable so I guess I'm inspired with the times which is sad I can't wait to put on a ball gown the second I can go to an event totally feel that (laughs) what hobbies and interests are you up to or have you been up to yeah uh, living in Vancouver I'm a big hiker I love hiking I like running I love being outside I also um took my W set which is a wine course so I took um my level two which is like on which you start taking if you want to be a sommelier so (laughs) I took um level two this year so the first round of of quarantine was filled with like very cool wines and um we would have like you know our bubble over and do wine tastings and um yeah my partner and I we got so so into wine and like finding different regions that we like and different countries so 
um, that's a, a hobby that I try to keep, you know, in um, not too excessive. How many levels and are there in this wine, wine course? So you would do four and then you would start taking like your song courses. I believe. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, eventually maybe I'll do three, but it's, for me, it's just, it's really just for fun. I think it's, if you're going to be consuming something, you should probably know what it is and and what you like. I mean, that was my mentality. How to describe it to others, how to describe it to your partner. Yes, exactly. So that was really fun. Um, We're big foodies. And then uh, I like, there's things I'm missing. I love spin class. I like, I'm obsessed with soul cycle. So that's been tough with having, um, gym clothes, but, and then just a lot of Netflix and chill, like some cooking, some baking fads. I never did the bread, but you know, like how many cookies and loaves I've baked over the past year is just bonkers. <laughs> um, but we're lucky with weather, with weather in Vancouver. Um, we live right on the seawall. So it's, kind of nice to get out and um go for a run in in December which I grew up in Winnipeg it's probably minus 50 there right now and that's not a thing just like trying to stay sane in these weird times and you know try to find new things that you like or new shows that you can binge to stay home has been kind of a crazy learning experience okay and the last question I usually like to end off the podcast with is if you're happy with the direction life you've taken and kind of what do you see yourself and the brand looking like in the near future? I'm so happy with the direction that we've gone in. We've stayed true to ourselves. We've, we've made mistakes and we've been able to kind of roll with them. And I think, you know, we haven't made too many mistakes because we've stayed true with ourselves. So if other people think it was a mistake, it wasn't to us. And that's very important. I think that where I see us in the next few years is just really um, is expanding across Canada and offering the services we do in our um, immediate cities everywhere. And some really cool pop-ups and then hopefully we can you know be the real real of Canada we'd like to have brick and mortar all over I was over gonna say that'd have... be sick to be the real yeah real exactly um I think we're in the running like we we have our our brand sort of locked down and we we know what we believe in and the products that we sell and so I think it's really concentrating on what's important to us and our brand like the customer service and the extra you know, the blogs and the interviews and, um, and our, our charity work. And I think if we can keep that up and stay true to ourselves, then we could be in the running for that. And let's just cross our fingers and toes that our hard work pays off. Do you think, or I don't know if you already do, do you work with any influencers? Cause I know the real, real, I see a couple of YouTubers that I watch that sometimes have sponsored videos by them or have pieces sent out to them. And then they talk about it for a video. Is that something you do or would consider in the future? So we do a little bit of it. I'm like such an elder millennial when it comes to influencers. I have such a hard time like being like, hey, um, we're going to send you this and post it. I like to meet everybody in person. <laughs> I'm like such a mom. But, no, that's the um, best. Like if you can, I mean now with COVID, yes. like, webcam, but still getting a feel for that person and all. Yeah. So now if we're going to work with someone, I make them do a FaceTime with me. I want to know that we're aligned. Like they might not like us I mean I don't know how could you not (laughs) but 
Um, I think it's important that people that you're working with aren't like robots. I want to know what you're passionate about, what you like, and are you going to actually enjoy what we send you? So we work with a lot of influencers and we do like box try-ons. So we'll send a ton of clothes. They can shoot with them. That helps them to get content, especially right now. Um, and then we um, give them like a code so people can buy sort of off of them. And that's something that we like doing because it's also just super fun. It's like playing dress up with um, people that actually really care about playing dress up. Um, and then we've done like a couple uh, gifting gifting things for like um, doing videos or whatever, but it's really mostly to build relationships. I think that eventually the bigger we get, it'd be great to work with some more um, established absolute established. Yeah um like fashion sort of gurus um and that will come but for now like people that reach out that are like I'm a fashion blogger and I um am interested in working with you guys we're like sick here's our options these are four things that we can do what do you think that you want to do and how can we support you also and it's sort of like a mutual relationship and that usually comes after they have to just sit through a conversation with me on on FaceTime I love it I love it well is there anything else you'd like to add to the episode other than your social oh, media handles no thank you so much. it's so so fun to chat with you this was awesome um yeah we're so over at shop on Instagram and so over at shop.com is our website and I think if any, anything, we really just want people to know like how approachable we are and we care and I want to know your story and I want to know what you're looking for. So that's sort of our shtick. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do so. And uh, yeah, go check them out, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you were all able to take something away from Jordan's journey. Don't forget to check out So Over It on all social media platforms. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.